still here. We're still here. We're still here. We're still here. We're still here. All right. underway here in the year 2023 episode 211 of this show in what is year three of football americas hercules gomez can you believe it we have indeed returned you don't strike me as the uh Football fan, American football fan. Do you know what that we're still here is from? No, what is it from? You know who's, you know who's I'm a big Buffalo is? Bills fan. It's Tom Brady, you should know. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. That's Tom Brady yelling? Yeah, it's Tom Brady. Okay. Yeah, we're still here. And guess we're what? We're still here. We're still here. We're still here. Happy New Year, my man. To you as well. How was your, uh, how was your break? Refreshing. Yes? Being away from you. 21 days without Seb. You yeah, look after, younger. After 40-something days yeah, with every, Seb. I, uh, everything looks good, man. Everything looks good. I'm doing well, uh, happy, uh, healthy. So what can I, what else, my family is as well, so what else can we ask for? Exactly, exactly. Uh, and to all of our viewers, I hope you have a great 2023 as well. we got a lot to get to, Herc, uh, in do. this show. Sophia Smith is going to join us. Of course, coming off a great year, not just with the U.S. Women's National Team, with the Portland Thorns as well, so we'll talk to her. We're going to recap Jornada Uno uh, in Liga Mekis, which will actually finish up later tonight, but took place mostly over the weekend. We'll look right. ahead to uh, what's left of the season as well. Plus, uh, and I hate this, but we do it a lot, we have an injury update on one Christian Pulisic that we need to get folks uh, all caught up on. But we will start this show, Herc, in only one place. There can only be one place. Uh, with a story that truly rocked all of American soccer last week. And uh, what a week, Herc, we picked as a show uh, to take off. So it all started last Tuesday when from an unverified Twitter account, which was later confirmed uh, to be Greg Berhalter, the national team manager admitted to kicking his now wife during an argument back in 1991. In his statement, Berhalter claimed this information was shared with U.S. soccer during the World Cup in an attempt to, quote, take him down. Now, minutes after Berhalter's statement was released on Twitter, U.S. Soccer released a statement of their own in which the Federation revealed an ongoing investigation into the alleged incident. U.S. Soccer saying they learned of the incident on December 11th of last year. Coincidentally, the same day that the story broke about Greg Berhalter effectively outing Gio Reyna as a problem at the World Cup. That was during a leadership conference. Now, last Wednesday, Danielle Reyna, of course, Gio's mom, uh, admitting in a statement it was she that told Ernie Stewart and U.S. Soccer about Berhalter's past behavior. ESPN reporting that multiple sources claim Claudio Reyna also threatened to share allegations against Berhalter during the World Cup. Reyna has since denied those allegations. All right, Herc, a lot to unpack here. Uh, what's your first takeaway from this really incredible story? And I know we throw the word incredible around a lot, but this is incredible. Sad. For all parties involved, um, more so, or probably the most, I should say, for Rosalind Berhalter, who was a victim of domestic abuse and doesn't need a painful wound being reopened for the world to see, for her kids to see. That's her story to tell. For that to be stripped from her in this type of way over a game is probably the most difficult um, to accept. And then just 
from top to bottom, the way it started with domestic abuse of Greg Barhalter that he admitted to, which is deplorable, you could say that, but, and there is no but, I shouldn't say. 18 years old, mm -hmm. a snapshot of his life, and I believe in reform and forgiveness. And if his wife believed that he was reformed and forgave him and moved on from it, and they had four children in that marriage, to 31 years later, 31 years later, have somebody weaponize that information against you, a so-called friend, mm -hmm. everything about this situation is, is sickening. And over a game. Yeah. And over a game. It's just incredible sadness that I have right now for, for these people involved. Uh, it's sad. It's really, it's ugly. Um, one of the things that I talked about first when I was asked to speak about it on ESPN FC was kind of this idea of a parent problem. Yeah. Right? We talk about it a lot in American soccer. Youth soccer is very aimed at profit. It's, it's not about developing players. That's not always the priority. If you look at where youth soccer clubs are based, they're based in the suburbs. They're not based downtown where there's a lot of kids. Right. They're based in the suburbs where there's a lot of money and a lot of parents with a lot of money because those parents are the basis of youth soccer. It's not the kids. Right. And so those parents, when they pay an arm and a leg to be part of this very expensive system, they're clients and clients expect something in return. So just my personal experience having been a coach with way less stakes than a World Cup, I've been on the end of parents calling, either calling me and trying to manipulate what I was doing as a coach, or calling somebody above me and trying to have them influence what I was doing as a coach. I would have thought, Herc, that at some point, American soccer would grow out of that. I didn't think that those dynamics of parents getting involved to that extent would exist at a World Cup. Yeah. And I thought that they would exist less in a family that had been through it, right? It, this is not a family that is new to the World Cup, dynamics, American soccer, soccer yeah. the pressures of being professional athletes. I did not think that the reign of family who are, you know, U.S. soccer royalty, royalty right? That's the right word here, um, would in this situation do something like this. That, that, is, that is very saddening and surprising to me. I understand where you're coming from. Can I tell you why I disagree with, to a degree, with mm -hmm. what you're saying? These helicopter parents that you see in U.S. soccer mm -hmm. are customers. That is what they are because right. they are paying these clubs for their children to play. They are customers. The Reinas aren't customers, okay? They're participants in their son's life. Mm -hmm. Not in Greg Verhalter's life, the coach. Their son's life. Not the U.S. men's national team or the players of the U.S. men's national team, for Daniel Reyna, or Claudio Reyna for that matter, to have direct access mm -hmm. with Ernie Stewart, Brian McBride, Greg Berhalter, the brass of U.S. soccer, if you will, is unacceptable. I don't care what the past relationships are like. That is unacceptable. That can't happen. There is no plausible scenario where the parent or parents of a player on a full national team have access to the brass right. of the federation. That should never happen. So to me, that's something that you see all the time in American youth soccer. I think it's crazy to think, even though the, the Reinas may be different, that they've not been in that world and accepting of that. The other part of it is it takes two to tango, right? In this system where parents feel it's their right to get involved, it's their right to manipulate what's happening with their children and their children's soccer careers. Somebody has to be on the other end of the phone. And that, to me, here is what needs to be discussed as well. Yeah. Somebody's saying, hey, this system is okay. I'm picking up the phone. You're and sometimes it's a youth soccer club head. 
But here it's Ernie Stewart, the sporting director of the Federation. And so I think when we talk about a system that's broken, it's not just the parents, their entitlement, their expectations. It's also the people on the other end who are allowing this. Ernie Stewart does not have to pick up that phone, whether he's known Danielle Reyna and Claudio Reyna for 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. He is working for U.S. soccer at a World Cup. And if Claudio Reyna and Danielle Reyna aren't the same as every other parent, then you can't give them that access because that is actually, Herc, where the salacious nature of this explodes when it gets told to the U.S. Soccer Federation. And if Ernie Stewart never picks up that call because he knows it's not the right thing to do, I don't know that we're here today. You were on the call, Ernie Stewart. Uh, right, just to, just to clear up, a couple days ago there was a call with leadership from U.S. Soccer. Uh, it was Cindy Parlocone, it was Ernie Stewart, and it was J.T. Batson, the new CEO. Exactly. Yeah. He had no problem deflecting the questions and giving political answers yes. Yes. to move on to the next thing. Well, directly, he was asked about like, how he felt about the, the, the relationship that had been lost between Reyna and Berhalter, and his response was, well, I work for the Federation. That's my priority. That's Why wasn't... <laughs> Go ahead and say it, Seth. Why wasn't that the priority in the World Cup? But why wasn't the priority when they called you? Right. Sorry, I can't do right. this. Right. this. This is out of bounds. Mm -hmm. This is blurring the lines. And we talk about this old boys network. Mm -hmm. Why U.S. soccer is concentrated in such right. a small area of a huge country. 340 million people living in this country. And you pretty much go for this little soccer sector in eastern Right, you're talking about national team managers, but I think... Oh, no, 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 not just that. U.S. soccer in general, when you look at as a whole, mm -hmm. how they concentrate their history, there are only pockets of places that they've selected mm -hmm. from. And this goes to show you, now, you could ask why these things happen. When your soccer history is so minute, is right. so, so just, the, the pool is so small, this is bound to happen. Sure. And it's not the only country where people have access to coaches, sporting directors, etc., but certainly you have to, in a corporate world that is corporate America with U.S. Soccer Day, you have to remove yourself from these situations if you're Ernie Stewart, if you're the brass of U.S. Soccer. Yeah, there's a lot of connections, right? Everybody knows each other, not just a little bit, but they have like decades-long relationships. And when everybody knows everybody like that, there's a familiarity, which I think can lead to problems. One more point before we move on to the fallout here, and we're going to have Jeff Carlisle join us uh, in just a little bit. To me, something that's very important is to look back at the hiring process, because you were very critical of the hiring process was. as it was going on. It took, what, 13 months? We didn't have a coach. There was a lot of wasted time as you said. I think now we can look back at that hiring process and be like, wow, they, they missed something very important. And the Federation, in their statement, as we said there, say that they've learned of these allegations on December 11th, 2022. But in Greg Berhalter's statement, he talks about telling his family about what happened back in 1991. His brother, Jay Berhalter, was the CMO, the chief marketing officer of U.S. soccer when Berhalter's hired. So there's an inconsistency there. Somebody in the Federation would seemingly have known about this, yet the Federation is claiming they didn't know about it in the hiring process. So I think when we talk about old boys networks and we say that and we don't really say, well, what's the impact of that? What's the fallout of that? One of the fallouts of that is that in a hiring process, important things like this can be missed. And I think that's, that's pretty clearly the case here. U.S. soccer would never want to find this news out. No. But they definitely didn't want to find it out three and a half years into this man's coaching tenure and as they're trying to renew for the Remind national Remind me how many job. coaches were interviewed for that job? Uh, supposedly only three. Okay. Supposedly only three. Greg Berhalter was one. Uh, let's get to the players because I think that, that at the end of the day is the most important thing. Where does this leave 
Gio Reyna, a young player with so much talent, uh, but now with something on his resume, Herc, that I think is going to, for a lot of people, for a while, outshine that talent. So in the court of public opinion, there will be those who judge him unfairly or fairly, however mm-hmm. you deem that fit. They will judge Gio Reyna for his actions at the World Cup, but more so for the actions of the adults in the room, Yeah, his parents. And that is unfair. There are also those who are his teammates and part of that setup who may look at him a bit different. How would you look at him if he was your teammate? Because I'm sure you had teammates with involved parents. You played for the U.S. men's national team. No, never. Never? Involved parents? No? With, with, no. Of Michael course. Bradley's dad was the coach. I mean, that's a pretty involved parent. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Got me there. Right. No, you're absolutely right But about you, that. come on. If that's, this happened but, but, in a locker on, room, you would look at but, this guy differently, but, 100%. But, but you expect that if the coach's son. Okay. okay. Right. Right. But to his credit, uh, they, at least in front of us, right. not to blur those lines, you never. Right. But when you're talking about the outside room, okay, not working within U.S. soccer, I can't recall a situation where that came about, right? where the parents were lurking around. Now, let me go back to Gio. That will all be long gone and forgotten when the game starts, when his play dictates that See, I don't think forgotten. it's when the game starts. I think it's when he does something historic for the well, U.S. men's no. national team. Because every assist. time he plays and his name comes up, now this is going to get mentioned until is, he does something football. that makes us forget. But the goals, assists, they'll make you forget. That's the new cycle will make you forget, and I will bring up the new cycle again later on in the show. Okay. Trust me, but they will make you forget. This is sports. Things happen all the time. Scandals happen all the time. And when do you forget? When do people move on? When you make them move on with your play. That will be the case for Gio Reyna. Now, say what you will about Gio Reyna. He acted like a petulant child mm-hmm. in the World Cup. I get that, but he owned up like a man to his mistakes in front of everybody. And then when the coach outed him publicly, when the coach outed him publicly, he himself owned up to it, right? Yep. And said, hey, yes, I acted in a very bad way, but I thought this was gonna be kept in house, it's unfortunate, etc." Everything else is now out of his control. The only thing he can control is his play on the field. That's the only way he's gonna make people forget about his parents, about Greg Berhalter, about this unfortunate situation. It's his only defense. Yeah. I, I hope he does it. I mean, he, he's got an opportunity with Borussia Dortmund, but I think it has to happen in a national team shirt. Of course. Because this was a story that... Oh, I'm that, talking national team. Sorry. Right. Yes. This, this was a story, and, and not just in a friendly, not just in Nations League, like in a big tournament. It's going to have to be it. And the next big tournament, Herc, is 2024. It's a while away. So every time he puts on the shirt, and there's... And, you know, it's a friendly, it's a Nations League game. This is going to be what people talk about. And that's super unfortunate for Gio because when you look at, at everybody in this situation, outside of Greg Berhalter's wife, who I think, is the, as you said well, is the ultimate victim, like the only person you can have sympathy for here is Gio. And to your point, yes, I'm sure if we look back at his behavior at the World Cup, we can say, hey, this wasn't good, this wasn't good, this is not a good reflection of you. But when you look at how everybody else in this situation behaved, and I'm not just talking about his parents, I'm also talking about Greg Berhalter at that conference, speaking out in the way that they did. All of those people messed up worse than Gio Reyna. And on top of that, you give Reyna a pass because he is, not a pass, but an asterisk because he is only 20 years old, right? And because of what happened before the tournament, the fact that Berhalter comes to him and says, hey, you're not going to have a big role. That's all context to his behavior. 
I think the reality is, though, here, this is who Gio Reyna is to a lot of people until at least the next big tournament, and that's super unfortunate. I'll go back to what I said about a snapshot, a snapshot of your life being a yep. reflection yep. or indication of who you are. I don't believe that. I, I believe he is a young man mm-hmm. that put himself in a difficult uh, situation and didn't respond in the best way and now has to live with that. But he's 20 years of age. If you're telling me he's going to be that player, be that person for the rest of his life, mm. I don't buy it. Yeah. Uh, no, let's hope not. All right. Uh, what about Greg Berhalter? What do you think this information, this scandal leaves him? Do you think he continue, can continue as the U.S. coach? I, I don't see how he can. Listen, um, I've said this many times. I said this in Qatar. I said it when we came back um, on social media. I, I didn't feel Greg Berhalter had done enough to merit a second opportunity as the U.S. Men's National Team head coach for sporting reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't know how if you're U.S. soccer, if you're the federation, you can go back to him. He admitted to domestic abuse. It's, it's nothing light. It's not just, oh, no. he only kicked her. No, it's domestic abuse in the eyes of everybody. He admitted to that. Yeah. So if you're U.S. soccer, what you want to do now or what they have to do and what they will do is remove themselves as far as possible from this situation. So not only are we talking about he's not coming back for the U.S. men's national team job, I seriously have doubts about his ability to get another opportunity as a coach in U.S. Right, soccer. Right. I'm talking about Major League Soccer. I'm talking about some other, other place. These employers will think twice. Totally. Yeah, domestic violence is, is, um, is such a, a topic that is in the headlines right now that I think, you know, that, that's an important point to make in all this. That, this is also no longer a decision, Herc, of whether to fire Greg Berhalter over this, right? That's not what's happening here. Greg Berhalter's contract ended at the end of last year. So this is the decision to give Greg Berhalter a new contract within weeks of his admission of an incident of domestic violence in albeit 1991. And that's why I I don't think they can do it. Whether you think that he should have come back for sporting reasons or not, it's pretty clear the Federation was at least leaning that way before this news came out. Yeah, per reports by by various uh, outlets, including ours, that was the scenario. They they were kind of going down that road. Obviously, this has changed. I, I think if it weren't domestic violence, if it were something else, you can still look at what's happened after the World Cup and say it's too toxic a situation for him to continue on. But then if you add the element of domestic violence, it's clear that U.S. soccer cannot move forward with this manager. They just can't do it in 2023. Yeah, it, and, and I'll say this. We're going to have Jeff Carlisle join us in just a second. I go back to 2020 when we saw the Federation's lawyers write those horrible things about women. That was all sponsor pressure, and it eventually led to the president stepping down. Sponsors have a huge absolutely. role in this, and domestic violence is something that every corporation in 2023 has a keen eye on. I will repeat I believe in reform and forgiveness. I am not one for cancel culture talk. This isn't Sebi Salazar or Hercules Gomez saying Greg Berhalter can never work again. This is the world we live in in corporate America. Mm-hmm. You talked about these sponsors. These sponsors don't want to be associated with that type of action. Um, just to follow up briefly on that point, I also do think that as you said, it's not light, it's not small news Correct. that the manager of the national team admitted to domestic violence. That's, that's very serious news. And even if the act was, whatever, 31 years ago, um, 
the admission is within the last two well, weeks. That's why we're here today. That's why, that's why we're here today. All right, let's get some more on this uh, from one of the people that was key in the reporting of this story, Jeff Carlisle, who, of course, uh, teamed with Kyle Bonagura over at ESPN.com to write all about it. So, uh, Jeff, we've been talking about it here between Herc and I. Like, is, is there a way forward for Greg Berhalter with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, what do you think? Where, where does this scandal leave Greg Berhalter and his candidacy moving forward to get another four years with the U.S.? Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, I don't think there's a way that, that Greg Berhalter can continue uh, as, as manager of the U.S. men's national team. I, I think, you know, that there were some reasons that were piling up before, you know, certainly the admission that he made before the leadership conference, I, I think... You know, that, that certainly would have raised some eyebrows in the locker room. Um, but and even though it was 31 years ago, I, I think that, that that's just not something that U.S. soccer can easily move on from, especially in the in the climate that they've been experiencing uh, on the women's side of the game over the last 18 to 24 months. Um, you know, obviously, there have been accusations that uh, abuse from coaches was was swept under the rug or not acted upon. And, you know, U.S. soccer has taken a lot of deserved criticism over that. And so now you have a situation where Greg Berhalter has admitted to an instance of domestic abuse. And I think it's just easier for, for the U.S. Soccer Federation to, to move on to other candidates, to, to look at other, other possible uh, coaches to, to fill this position, uh, especially with uh, the U.S. co-hosting the 2026 World Cup with, with Canada and Mexico. So... Um, I, I disagree with, with, I think, what Herc said, that Greg will never work again. I, I, I suspect that he will. Um, you know, what capacity that ends up being, I think, still remains to be seen. Uh, but certainly, uh, I think there's, within U.S. soccer circles, there's a heightened sensitivity to this for good reason. And, uh, you know, for that reason, I, I suspect that they will, they will move on from Greg Berhalter and, and look at someone else. I think I said uh, we'll make it more difficult or may, but if that's not what came across, my apologies. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, either way, uh, let's move on. Uh, next up here, I want to know about the timetable, Jeff. Uh, how does this affect the timetable for the next managerial hire? Because right now we got Anthony Hudson in charge. We got some games coming up at the end of January. We got Nations League coming in March. Like the schedule is going to ramp up pretty quickly here. What do you think as far as timetable for an announcement of who the next coach will be if it's not Berhalter? Well, I think you're right. You know, they've, they've got to move on pretty quickly. And they, they've got to, first of all, they've got to have this uh, investigation be completed. Um, but, you know, I think the, the USSF leadership is in an awkward situation because they can't be seen trying to, to speed this process up. They, they really have to, to take a hands-off approach. And and let the law firm do its due diligence and, and do its investigating and, and then see what kind of conclusions they, they come up with. Um, I've got to believe that by the end of February, uh, the situation has to be resolved in terms of who, who the, the next coach is going to be. Um, now, there is some time. Uh, you know, that, that's almost two months. But, um, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's, you know, once the, the, the results of the investigation come out, then I, I think it's, you know, the coaching search is going to go into hyperdrive and, you know, they're going to have to act quickly. And you can see, you know, in some of the reports uh, relating to Zinedine Zidane, you know, I, I don't think the U S soccer federation is wasting any time. I think they're making some initial overtures and, and trying to do their due diligence and, and cast a wide net. And I think anyone connected with the program 
whether you're on the inside of it or the outside of it, is going to be very much in favor of that because it, it, it certainly seemed like last time there there wasn't a wide net cast, and uh, that that would be a a welcome move, I think, for for the entire program. Jeff, obviously, there's a lot of scrutiny on the Reynas, Greg Berhalter, justifiably so. I wonder how much scrutiny is being paid towards U.S. soccer and kind of the the leadership group around the men's national team. Uh, I mentioned Ernie Stewart. I thought, you know, it's kind of crazy for him to be taking calls from parents, from people he has relationships with in a World Cup. That could obviously open some doors to some conflicts of interest. Brian McBride uh, uh, involved in there as well. Is there any scrutiny being paid to kind of how U.S. soccer conducts its business? Or is the scrutiny here really on, on those involved in the scandal? Well, I think that right now the, the scrutiny is on those involved in the scandal, but that, that focus can change. Um, I, I think as you know, the U.S. Soccer Federation gets deeper into the process, I do think a microscope is going to be held up to how they're conducting themselves and how they're going about this coaching search. Um, and also the extent to which those relationships that we've been talking about, whether it's between the Burhalters and the Reynas and, and Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart, you know, the extent to which those relationships matter. Um, and I think that's why, certainly before any of this came out, there there was a push in some circles for a foreign coach to take over. Um, now, I think bringing in someone who doesn't bring with them all that baggage, who, who doesn't have those previous relationships that might, you know, color the way they do things, um, that would almost be like a breath of fresh air. Mm. But, you know, what we'll have to wait and see, you know, first of all, who wants the job? I, I think in this cycle, it's obviously going to be a very unusual cycle because I think for at least the first year or two, there's not going to be a whole lot to look forward to if you're a, a prospective national team manager. So, you know, it's it, you know obviously as the as the ramp the run up, excuse me, to the 2026 World Cup gets closer, then I think things are going to intensify and and there's there are going to be aspects about the job that are going to be attractive. But but right now, I mean, it's there's just not a lot of there are not a lot of competitive games to look forward to. I mean, I don't think the Nations League really quite quite cuts it from, you know, from that standpoint. So, um, again, I think there is going to be a lot of scrutiny that ultimately shifts to, to Ernie Stewart, especially given how the last search was conducted, and Brian McBride. And, and also, you know, this is kind of a new ground for, say, J.T. Batson to, to put in his two cents and, and, and bring his perspective to how he thinks the coaching search should be done. Jeff, we've spoken about the impact, obviously, to Greg Berhalter and his future. Gio Reyna and how that could impact the player, even the Federation brass. Another person of interest in this is Claudio Reyna. What, if anything, with Claudio Reyna or impact will it have with Major League Soccer and, you know, Austin? I can't see it having too much of an impact. Mm -hmm. um, certainly what, you know, the way that Claudio Reyna and Danielle Reyna behaved is reprehensible on a lot of fronts but you know it's none of it was criminal <laughs> let, let, let's be really clear um it, it's certainly embarrassing and it's certainly it, it it casts them in a poor light but i don't necessarily think that that's going to result in, in claudio reina stepping down from his position with austin fc um you know again i think people will look at him and you know maybe from a little bit different perspective than they did before. Uh, but, you know, I, I think if, if you're Anthony Precourt and you're, you're the owner of Austin FC, I think there are still some, some compelling reasons to keep Claudio Arena on, 
not least of which is, is the way that the team has performed on the field and the team that's been constructed by him as well as Josh Wolf. Uh, Jeff, just for clarity's sake here, um, you said none of what the Reinas did was criminal. There's been a lot of use of the word blackmail uh, around this story. Is that the right word to be using uh, around the threats or the alleged threats that were made to U.S. soccer? Um, or should we be using some other word? Because I've seen blackmail used a lot. Well, I think the, the, the word blackmail came from the way that Greg Berhalter characterized it. Mm. You know, it was it was a bid to take him down. Um, I think that's something that, that the investigation is ultimately going to reveal. You know, um, certainly, you know, with with the recording that Kyle Bonagura and I did, uh, you know, there there were there were threats to disclose this information, um, but we still don't have the entire context. Um, and, and listen, there can be overt threats and there can be, you know, veiled threats. So, again, we're, we're just going to have to see what uh, the, the investigation reveals and uh, what, what the coming weeks reveal. So uh, I think the jury's still out on whether that that is actually the right term to be using. All right. There he is. Uh, Jeff Carlisle, as always, you can find his fine work on ESPN.com. Shout out to Kyle Bonagura as well, who teamed with Jeff on the reporting of this story. Thanks again, Jeff. Uh, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Anytime, guys. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Speaking of the U.S. coaching search, uh, as Jeff mentioned, apparently U.S. soccer recently reached out to Zinedine Zidane. L'Equipe was first to report this. Uh, according to ESPN, the contact was made through Zidane's agent, and the Frenchman, quote, politely declined. Zidane, of course, a three-time Champions League winner and two-time La Liga winner as manager with Real Madrid. He's been out of work since 2021. Hurt, U.S. soccer going after some big names. Do you like the approach? Swinging for the fences, right? Mm-hmm. Or are they? Your now, fences. Now, bear with me for a second. This is a saga in U.S. men's national team history, Berhalter and the Reinas, mm -hmm. that we've probably only seen. Actually, there's a few sagas in this history, but the most recent that we've seen yeah. is the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Okay? 98 team blow-up. Do your due diligence if you want. You can check yep. that out. Um, if you're an organization like U.S. Soccer, what do you want to do? You want to be rid of that. You want to get the fan base on your good graces somehow. You want to eliminate that news cycle. Well, going for a 
head coach like Zinedine Zidane, as far out of reach as possible as that may be, having that name tied to U.S. Men's National for better or worse, is a good way of refreshing that news cycle. Didn't not, you have him as your as your reach candidate? Yeah, my dream the, candidate. Your dream candidate? My dream candidate. Dream candidate. So you love there's, this. You there's, love a re- this. there's a reason he's my dream candidate, because it's never going to happen. I have dreams. But don't you like that U.S. soccer is at least kicking okay. the tires on a dream candidate? There's it's ambitious. Let me, let me finish this. There's a lot of things that are good for U.S. soccer mm-hmm. with aiming for somebody like Zinedine Zidane. The news cycle. The message it sends. We are serious players come 2026. Yeah. It also we tells believe. parents you're not calling this guy. <laughs> you're not you're calling, not calling Zidane. You don't have his number, parents. We, belie- we believe this is achievable. That's what we're trying to get him. Right. It sends a different message. You are of a certain cachet. If you get a person like Zinedine Zidane, there are only positives out of this for U.S. soccer. I'm, I'm interested with what Jeff talked about, which is like how attractive is this job? He talked about it in the context of, well, there's not that many qualifiers. Do you think the scandal could make this job less attractive to somebody like a Zidane? And I'll get into why he, he rejected it according to our Julian no, LeBron in I, a second. I, I, don't, I, I don't. I think this would, some coaches would look at this and say, what are y'all doing over there? <laughs> Small time, right? No, I, I really don't think that's the case. I don't think they'll care. It, it's an opportunity to, to be in a World Cup mm-hmm. with the team that's going to be a host or one of the three hosts. Yep. The host that has the majority of games and all the games in the effectively the host, correct? Effectively the host in a very interesting player pool. I think those are things that are very attractive for a coach. What's not attractive? How do you get this team ready? Right. There's no World Cup qualifying campaign. You're you're handcuffed by the UEFA Nations League and by your own Nations League, the Concacaf Nations League, and by who you can honestly. Prepare for if you don't get Copa America, if you can't go out and get these teams some good exposure, good tournaments, is the U23 Olympics enough for you? I mean, there are some negatives here that you really have to think twice if you're a very good national team coach prospect. So Julian Laurent, who of course uh, is all over all things French football, reported this for ESPN.com. He mentioned a couple reasons why Zidane didn't take the project now. Right now, one is language barrier. When he was, I don't know if you remember, he was linked to a lot of Premier League teams after he left Real Madrid. A lot of that was, well, his English isn't where he wants it to be yet. He's a man manager. He's a communicator. So uh, the language barrier might have been an issue there. And also that Zidane is looking for a finished project. Now, what kind of throws that out the window is that he also said no to Brazil, apparently, right? So he's rejecting everyone. What I like about this from a U.S. soccer standpoint, Herc, is that he may have said no now. But conversations like these can lead to something in the future. And I think if Zidane is turning this down because of language and the fact that it's not a finished product, the U.S. might be a lot closer to a finished product in two years or in four and a half years. And his English might be better in two years or four and a half years. I could see this work paying off in a future. Yeah, maybe. This just screams to me that Zidane has one job in mind that he wants. He yeah. really wants, and he's willing to wait for it. And yeah. that job is the French job. That is France. Yeah, and this and this news came out that he that he would you know rejected the U.S. job before Deschamps. Like the the fact that he'd resigned had been announced. Yeah. So maybe that changes Zidane's perspective as well. Maybe the fact that the French Federation president is trashing him like, incredibly you think? Um, makes him say, you know what? Maybe I do want to look elsewhere uh, in terms of where I might find my next job, and maybe it will be with the U.S. Men's national team. If Zidane does come to the United States, he will be coaching this guy. Provided health. Uh, Christian Pulisic got hurt last Thursday as Chelsea lost one nothing against Manchester City in Premier League play. Pulisic was starting his third straight game, but came off injured after a big collision with John Stones. There you see it, 23 minutes into the match. 
Chelsea manager Graham Potter saying, quote, it's going to be weeks. It is a knee injury for Pulisic. Do you think, Herc, that this will impact a potential transfer in the January window? Before I go there, before I answer that, you saw the knee injury. Um, nobody should be playing doctor, um, but that type of injury. See, si, doctor. Yeah, exactly. Doctor. <laughs> but from being there, that type of yeah. injury is one of those, it seems to me like these MCL injuries. It's funny things. you mention that because um, Graham Potter said he opened up his knee, yeah. which if you know anything about knees, when you open up, the MCL is the one that kind of it's runs the so MCL, long. It's the MCL. It stings. Have you uh, done an MCL? I have. I have too. So that I know when I saw the, I saw, thought the same thing. And, and we don't know, uh, but le- let's hope it's that, honestly. Because that's really? something that's just time, yes. Yeah, you don't have to get a surgery for an no, MCL, right? No, of course right? not. And it stings. It, it hurts. It, it bothers you. And it will get better in a few weeks' time. Um, that said, your question was, will this affect potential transfer? Yeah, definitely, right? There seems to be a narrative from the outside world um, that Christian Pulisic, if anything, is, yes, talented, but inconsistent. Inconsistent in form and inconsistent in health. His ability to get on the field, one, and two, stay on the field when he does get on. That is something that could potentially hurt his chances of a transfer. You he's not going to be a cheap. He's going to be a, he's not, he's going on loan. And he's on. not going to be a cheap loan. There you go. So you're so, going to pay a lot of money for a guy who you might not get much out of. He makes 150 pounds, 1,000 pounds a week. 150,000 pounds a week, you're saying. Yes. It's a lot of money. That's $182,000 a week. That's not cheap. He's a very expensive player. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you say. For a player that you have serious outs can stay on the field. The narrative. This isn't us saying this is who he is. This is the narrative around him. I mean, okay? it's the reality. Look at the look at the numbers there. He has missed a lot of games. And it's a lot of different injuries, too. Yeah, but this is skewed because when you play in the Premier League, there are like five different competitions going on at the same time. You're not going to probably play all those competitions anyway. So you know what's, you know what's frustrating about this? is it was just starting to go well. Or at least it felt like, For again, him at Chelsea? For him at Chelsea? Yeah, yes. just in the, in the three games back, he gets three straight starts, which, you know, that's not, that's not an easy thing for Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. So he gets three straight starts coming back from the World Cup, and the guys around him were not playing well, right? Sterling's not playing well, yeah. Mount's not playing well, Havertz's not yeah. playing well. I feel like Christian Pulisic had this opportunity, Ds wasn't really playing well, had this opportunity to, to be like, hey, I am your guy. When everybody else is, is letting you down, I'm going to be productive. And for this injury to come at this time, I think it, it kills his chances with Potter and Chelsea, but it also kills this window for him. And I, of all the injuries that he's had, this, has, this feels like the one with the worst timing. Oh, man, maybe. Because he loses I look, on both fronts, graphic. He loses in his current reality, on, and he loses graphic. in his future reality. Last year was an ankle injury, right? And that one you could say, all right. But other than that, I think this is a guy you can say just wasn't performing at his best when he was on the field. There was some sort of, or they didn't believe in him, or, or, or he had a run of form. These are things that happen. You missed, what, two or three games, okay, whatever, in a season that has how many games that they play over there with league, with cups, with Carabao, FA, whatever, national team. I get that, but I really think he was turning that narrative around. This is terrible timing, like you just said, because he had came off, he's coming off a great World Cup for him personally. Yep, yep. A World Cup where, where his stats backed what many U.S. men's national team fans had felt. 
that he was a player capable of turning on at the world stage. He did that. Right now, getting playing time with a Chelsea team that is struggling, personally, collectively, whatever the chance, whatever you may uh, think. It, he could have been an answer. could have been an answer, and it could have been an answer that would have been on to the next. It could have been on to the next, whether it's uh, Newcastle, whether it's an Arsenal, whether it's a Liverpool, whatever you may want to think his destination would be, it could have been an answer to get there. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw the reports today, Joao Felix linked with a loan move to Chelsea, another player who one kind of, of plays players, in that same position. But one of many players Chelsea's bringing in. This is nothing new. Right, but it's problematic for Christian Pulisic because when he does get healthy, that's another guy that he's going to be competing with for minutes. Let's run it back, USMNT Abroad Edition, because we got some goal scorers abroad. Malik Tillman, his fifth goal of the season for Rangers. It comes in a 2-0 win over Dundee United. This man cannot stop scoring. I know, I know, it's Scotland. It's the Scottish Premier League. I know, I know, but goal scoring. Look at you in your anti-Scotland ways. And will continue forever. There are only two clubs in Scotland. Don't at me. But he's on one of those two clubs. Yeah, maybe time for a move then uh, for Tillman. A step up in competition. Jordi Mihailovic, speaking of steps up in competition, making his Azet Alkmaar debut. Got to start in a 1-1 draw against Vitesse. Go ahead and UH2 Holden. <laughs> what? I see what you did there. Mihailovic, first game in Europe. Congratulations. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Hi, Herc. U.S. Soccer has been announcing its 2022 end-of-year awards, and Sophia Smith has taken home Female Player of the Year honors. The 22-year-old is the youngest player to win the award, since Mia Hamm did so back in 1994, Hamm was also 22. Smith becoming the first black woman to win the award as well. And what a year it was for Sophia Smith. 11 goals with the U.S., 15 goals with the Portland Thorns in the NWSL, second behind only Alex Morgan. She was the MVP not just of the NWSL regular season, but the championship game as well as her Portland Thorns won the NWSL title. Thrilled then to be joined now on Football Americas by the aforementioned Sophia Smith. And I hope she has returned because I know oh, you can see the shirt, Sophia. Okay. I know uh, you can see it right at, there. Look, look at, at that. This man. You're shameless. That's hey, that's how we treat our guests. It's a nice shirt. That's how we treat our guests shirt. here on Football Americas. Uh, shout out to, uh, to Breaking Tees there, the celebration. Sophia, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
All right, so we just went through the uh, incredible rundown of all your awards from 2022, both with the national team and, of course, at club level as well. What kind of stands out to you the most from 2022 as you look back on it? Um, I mean, not just one thing in particular. It was a, a really fun and enjoyable year. I feel like I was just able to kind of be myself and find my place with the Portland Thorns and with the national team. I think winning the championship with the Portland Thorns was probably one of the highlights of the season, um, just because that team, you know, we went through a lot and had to deal with a lot, and we stuck together and worked hard, and to win that as a team, I think, probably meant the most to me. Huge jump this year, Sophia. There's usually a point in an athlete's career where something changes. Uh, you improve, you can nail down that, that one thing that made you just change from one year to the next. For you, what was it? I think for me it was, I just remember to enjoy it. Um, I think my first year as a professional was a little bit stressful. I was dealing with an injury and it was kind of just my time to find my place. And then I think this year, I was just super confident and I think, you know, I didn't put too much pressure on myself and I was just enjoying each game as a game and not looking too far back or too far forward. And I think, you know, it was just a matter of having fun while doing it. And in turn, I played confident and I was more, you know, more myself in, in every game that I played. Sophia, U.S. Soccer has been handing out this award, Female Player of the Year, for 38 years. You are the first black player to win it. What does that mean to you? It's amazing. It's unfortunate that it's, you know, taken this long for that to happen, but I think this is just the beginning and you know, for a lot of young black girls or or women of color watching, I think it just shows them that they can achieve this too and and if they work hard and set their mind to whatever it is they want to do that it can work out for them and they'll get the rec recognition they deserve. And I think it's great, but I think it's it's the start of something that probably, you know, need, needed to happen a long time ago. Portland as an organization has been through so much over the last two years. How did you and the Thorns overcome everything to put together the title run? We just stuck together as a team. There was a lot of noise happening around us, um, a lot of people with a lot of opinions, rightfully so, but I think it was a matter of my teammates and I just sticking together and, you know, having conversations and recognizing that we all had a goal and it was to win the championship and to be the best team in the league. And regardless of what was going on on the outside, we always showed up every day to practice and to the games and gave everything that we had. and made sure that we were just doing what we needed to do to accomplish that goal and supporting each other on the way. Uh, let's go back to that NWSL final because uh, the goal that you scored drew a very specific celebration, one that, is, uh, as I just showed before, is on my shirt. Everybody was talking about that celebration. It felt almost uh, Michael Jordan-esque if you go back to the series against the Portland Trailblazers way back in the 90s. What was behind that celebration for you? Did it have a meaning? I mean, a little bit. I didn't I didn't plan it. It kind of just happened. Um, when I won the MVP of the league award, there were some people that had their opinions. Obviously, everyone's going to have opinions. But yeah, it was kind of just I was proud of myself and I felt like I did deserve that award. So I would say that's all that was. It wasn't. <laughs> I think a lot of people kind of read more into it than what it really was. 
Sounds like it was a little message for the haters. That's, yep. that's what yep. I'm getting I like at, it. So. I like it. <laughs> Zofia, uh, you weren't part of the last Olympics for the U.S. Women's National Team. So essentially, World Cup qualifying was your first major tournament or, or experience with the full team. What was that like for you? It was great. I think every young player needs an experience like that to really kind of know what it's like to be on this team, even though I've, I've been with this team for a while and have played in games. But to go through a big tournament like that, it shows you how hard it really is and how hard you know every big tournament is going to be. So it was really valuable for me just to learn how stuff like that worked and to you know play in consistent games um, with a little rest in between. You just get used to that environment. So I think for all of us younger players, it was a great you know, chance to just have the opportunity, especially going into this World Cup year. I think it, it was really important um, to play in that tournament. And obviously to get the result that we did was was what we wanted. Um, so it was just good overall. So the CONCACAF W Championship was in the summer, but then in the fall you had a couple very intense friendlies. Really didn't feel like friendlies, almost more like World Cup matches. You get England, you get Spain. You also had a couple games uh, against Germany, but specifically the games against England and Spain, those, those away tests. What was your biggest takeaway from those games? That it's not going to be easy. Uh, you know, a lot of other countries are are catching up and are very, very good teams, teams that have played together for a long time now. So for all of us, I think it was just a reminder that this is what it's going to take. It's going to be hard and it's it's going to take every single one of us to step up in every single moment. It was a great opportunity to play such great teams because that's that's who we're going to play in the World Cup. So regardless of, you know, the outcome, it's obviously not what we wanted for those games, but I think we learned so much from it and can come out, you know, stronger and going into this year, I think we've learned a lot and know exactly what we need to work on to be to continue to be the best team in the world. Let me piggyback off of Sebastian's question. Uh, in the past, we just did the ESPNW top 50 players in the world, and the U.S. women's national team dominated the top 10, dominated the majority afterwards. Now we're talking about the World Cup a few months away. Teams of the past would always consider themselves favorites. Do you and your teammates of the U.S. women's national team consider yourselves favorites leading up to this World Cup? I consider us a favorite because I have a lot of confidence in us and what this team has done in the past. I do think there are a lot of people who maybe have doubts just because we're a younger team. It's kind of a turnaround year with a newer roster and players with less experience. But I think that only gives us more fuel and makes us hungrier to continue to prove that it's the same and we're still the best team in the world and we get the best opportunity to, to prove that this summer. So I, I'm confident in us. I don't, I, I don't think anyone really cares if anyone else is because it's really up to us. We're the ones that have to go out there and perform and get results. So I'm very confident in this group and, you know, whatever group is selected to, to compete in the World Cup, I'm, I'm confident that we'll do what we need to do. All right, Sophia, I want to go over some of your goals from 2022. But first, real quick, uh, you are one of a handful of players 
from the state of Colorado on the U.S. women's national team. And y'all aren't, like, on the edges of the roster. You guys are becoming stars, like the, the future of the U.S. women's national team. What is happening in the state of Colorado when it comes to development, specifically in the women's game, that, that all y'all are coming out of this state and making, like, immediate impacts at the senior international level? Yeah, I, I get this question a lot, or what's, like, what's in the water in Colorado? And I, it's just, it's a combination of, great clubs, um, clubs that really care about not just you as a player, but you as a person and your development. And then, I mean, I had one of the best coaches I've ever had in Colorado who I, you know, give a lot of credit to and why I am the player that I am today. So it's a combination of just the environment that young kids are put into every day. It's not you know, super stressful or a lot of pressure. It just gives you the opportunity to grow and develop and work on the things that you need to work on, but also have fun while you're doing it. And then coaches who just care about you as, as a player and a person and who know, you know, what you need to work on and know how to get you to that point. So for me, I know that's what's allowed me to you know, become the player that I am. And I, I think a lot of the other girls from Colorado could say the same. It's that Rocky Mountain Air, Sevy. That's right. That's right. They're doing something right there uh, in the development space. All right, let's get to the goals. Let's get to the good stuff. Because, Sophia, you scored a lot of them in 2022. Here's one against the Orlando Pride. The left oh, foot. No. Didn't know you had that in your bag, Sophia. Well done. <laughs> I don't score a lot with my left foot, but... <laughs> That's a good one. Banger. Definitely a Sports Center top 10 material. Also worth noting, a great shot here of the bubble braid. She's famous for the celebration, but the hairstyle as well. The bubble braid, I'm told, uh, is, is, is very, very popular. All right, so we got, we got the left-footed one there. My favorite goal of your Sophia, from 2022 uh, is not from league play. It's actually from the CONCACAF W Championships, and it came against Jamaica. Walk us through this one, because it is a bit of genius. I don't even know how to, I mean, <laughs> I think in the moment, like when I'm in the moment and kind of just feeling it, I just literally will do whatever it takes to get the ball in the back of the net. And in that moment, I feel like shooting it that way was really my only option because I couldn't wait for it to hit my left foot because the defender was coming. So I just kind of bent it with the outside of my foot. Sombrero, sombrero to the outside of the right foot. Why not go left foot there? What made you want to go right foot? I mean, if I would have waited like a split second more to hit it with my left foot, there was a deep. Yep, the difference. Yep. Yeah. I know you're not questioning her, Herc. I know no, you're absolutely. not questioning her after absolutely she just not. that. I, I just, it's interesting because she already showed us a banger with the left yep. foot. Now we're going to go yep. outside the right. All right. Um, all right, so we have one more. And this one, of course, is from the title game. Uh, you get in behind the defense here. Nice move, one-on-one -on -one with the goalie. Uh, what were you feeling in that moment, Sophia? Um, I was feeling like anytime I have a breakaway, that's exciting. Um, I've had a few of these during the season where, you know, I had the chance to either shoot it early or beat the keeper, and I, you know, I always opt to beat the keeper because I feel like that just makes it easier. So. Yeah, I, I've had a few reps of that during the season, so I felt pretty confident in this moment. One of a few goals for Sophia Smith in 2022. That one 
in my hometown in the NWSL championship game as Portland uh, beat Kansas City. All right, Sophia, we got to let you go. But before we let you go, give us a, a quick injury update because we know you're not on the roster for New Zealand. I know a lot of fans will be worried about you. Uh, what's the latest and when can we expect you back? It's not super serious. It's something that I've been dealing with for a while now, especially towards the end of last season. So this off season was the first time I've really had the time to address it um, and to make sure I'm doing everything right to be healthy. Obviously, it's a big year coming up, so I'm just taking the time I need right now. So hopefully I'll be good to go for She Believes and the rest of the season. So. It's not super serious. All right, that's what we want to hear. Uh, if you're back for She Believes, great. But as long as you're back for the World Cup, that's all that matters. Sophia Smith, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thanks so much for the time and congratulations on an amazing 2022. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sophia. And, of course, as we mentioned, uh, no Sophia Smith on the roster for the upcoming friendlies against New Zealand. No Megan Rapino either. There is some good news on the injury front, though. Lynn Williams and Emily Sonnet uh, both returning to the mix. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Liga Mekki season kicking off this past weekend. Time for the good, bad, and ugly. We'll start with the good. Chivas one nothing winners away at Rayados on Saturday. Velko Paunovic era beginning with a win. Alexis Vega scored two minutes into the second half. That was the only goal of the game. Chivas actually finished this match with 10 men. Sepulveda was sent off in the 78th minute. Huacho uh, Jimenez, the Chivas ah! goalie, deserves a shout-out. He had eight saves. Berterame missing from the penalty spot late of what would have tied the game at one. Herc, how do you rate the start of the Velko Paunovic era for Chivas after their 1-0 win against Rayados? Uh, what are we doing, your East Coast A, B, C, D, E, F thing? or <laughs> 1 through 5, whatever you want it to be, whatever you want it to be. I'm not going to be too nitpicky here. Uh, out of 10, I'll give it a 7. Now they won. They won. This is important. Winning is important. A seven's for the result, not the performance, right? Just the result. Because the performance left a lot to be desired. They were very lucky to come away with a win. This was a game when they were thoroughly outplayed. Mm -hmm. But a win is a win. Now, why am I not putting that much stock into a win versus one of the richest rosters in Latin America? Mm -hmm. The richest roster in Liga MX? It's because they always beat Monterrey in Monterrey. In fact, since 2015, okay, Monterrey has only beaten Chivas at home once. Once. That was in 2017. This is a reality. 
Chivas plays well in that stadium. That stadium is cursed with penalty kicks as well. Chivas is a team, everybody has that team. Their team is Monterrey. They are their daddies. That's it. Mm. A Chiva over the Penguin. That's what it is here. They didn't play particularly well. Uh, Watcho Jimenez, the goalkeeper for Chivas, was the most important player for Chivas in this game. Yes, Alexi Vega scores a goal, it has to be said. But did anything in this performance lead you to believe that Chivas is capable of something in this tournament? Capable of something, yes. Capable of something significant, no. Significant. I, I think three points away at Monterrey. Don't say that something, because I know where you're going with that something. I, I, think, I think the three points away against Monterrey to start the season is important and it's impressive. I'll, I'll acknowledge that there's history there, but it's still going away to Rayados and, and, and getting three points. The way it goes down, if, if we watch the game and we say, look, they had eight shots on goal. I think they had 24 shots total, Rayados. And Chivas, on the other hand, weren't that dangerous, no. right? They only had two shots on goal. It's a moment of magic from Alexis Vega. And what my concern would be here, if I had a Chivas perspective, would be if it's not Vega, who else if, is it? it? That's really the question. Right, and so that wasn't answered in this game No, for me. because that's, that's a big worry Because it was Tepas, Cisneros up front. Ormeño didn't even make the bench. Jota, Jota, Macias is still Brizuela coming off the bench. It's, yeah, Brizuela is still coming off the bench. Jota, Jota, Macias is still uh, on the men. He's not 100. So you have to ask yourself, like you said, the one star that they do have is Alexis Vega. If it's not Alexis Vega for this Chivas team, who can be that player to help them? The answer right now is they don't have that player. I think it's all what your expectations are for Chivas, right? If, if you think they're a top-four team, I don't think what we saw tells you they're going to be a top-four team. This, they could definitely be a top-eight team based off this. And I think when you get a win under a new manager at a place like Rayados, you could have that, that burst, that new manager pop. And in a league, Herc, where there's only 17 games... We'll move on after this comment. Very just tell you more very about easily. Chivas or more about Monterrey. Well, Rayados are... are have their issues. It tells you something about both. Probably more about Rayados. I, I, I'll, I'll give you that. Okay. All right, so that's the, that's the good. What about the bad? Ah. Atlas against Toluca. Postponed because of field conditions at Estadio Jalisco. The game was supposed to be played Saturday. It'll end up being played uh, on the 1st of February, which is a Wednesday. Herc, this is a bad look, not just for for Atlas, but for Liga Mekis as a whole. It's a terrible look. Uh, they played Copa por Mexico, this tournament, this made-up tournament uh, in preseason there. They had a game there. Why is it in such bad condition, Sebi? Might you ask me? Mm -hmm. uh, in November, there was a concert, not just any concert. <laughs> los Bukis! Marc Antonio Solis and Los Bukis were at Estadio Jalisco, and this was torn to shreds. So since November, since this concert, they have not been able to get in this field into conditions. Siente tu liga. What an embarrassing look. Hey, this isn't just any team yonder. It's Atlas. Come on. Uh. You've been around a while. You should have your stadium in shape. All right, the ugly now. Cata Dominguez, defender for Cruz Azul, and at times recently, the Mexican national team is under heavy criticism for hosting a Narcos-themed party for his son uh, and posting pictures on social media. This, of course, happening at a time when Mexico as a country uh, is being decimated by narco violence. In fact, the threat of narco violence helped postpone the Leon Mazatlan game uh, over the weekend as well. Uh, Dominguez was held out of Cruz Azul's game against Cholos on Sunday, which ended in a 1-1 draw. Herc, uh, what do you think should happen to Cata Dominguez here? Well, there should be a suspension, a fine. That money in the fine should be used for victims of, of the violence of organized crimes within Mexico. Um, you look at the violence in Culiacán that is currently happening. Yep. For Cata Dominguez 
to do this, you have to hope it was in a not so conscious way. Like this is just not realizing yep. the world you live in, where you are, and the role model that you have to be, whether you want to be it or not, for the general public, for kids in it. And I, I could understand that this narco cultura, 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 excuse me, if you will, um, like the mobsters, like the mafia yeah. is, is in glamorized, it's glamorized, glamorized yeah. per se. I could understand it's that. It's on TV every week, not just in Mexico, in the United States. In the United right? States. Yeah. But you have to realize that this is something that has harmed many and that your actions, not perceived, are taken offensive because they are. Right. And it's in the context of what's happening in Mexico when you have a game literally being played in the same jornada that has to be postponed. Uh, I wonder if maybe Cruz Azul lets him off the hook because he's a club legend, right? 35, most caps ever for Cruz Azul. Is this then on the league to, to, to still out the, yeah. the punishment or do you think the club is going to be the ones that are going to say, hey, all right, enough. There, there's a certain sector of that fan base who's already screaming for him to go yes. out. They, they yeah. want to be rid of the Cata Dominguez era. Um, but this is definitely on the league as well now. You, you can't allow this. You can't allow So You have to be better than this. It has to be zero tolerance, uh, if you will, with Liga Mekis and, and what many Mexicans have been hurt by in their day-to-day -day living. Yep, Cata Dominguez uh, once again held out of Cruz Azul's 1-1 draw against Cholos. Elsewhere this weekend, Tigres were 3-0 winners away against Santos. Andre Pierginiak scored late. <laughs> and how did he celebrate? Well, like an old man. You'll remember Pio Herrera, former Tigres coach, on his way out. Called Tigres an old team. Herc, burn. APG got him. Oh, my God. He was waiting for that one. APG, 37 years of age. Uh, who's old? Not me. Golazos. By the way, the first win for Tigres in 12 years in La Comarca against Santos. Mm. One thing we know, Piojo probably won't mind because he's busy... Uh campaigning for the national team job. By the right way, now. tomorrow on Aura Nunca with Mauricio Pedrosa, he'll be there. Piojo. Piojo. Great. I look forward to that interview. Uh, let's continue our preview here of Liga Mekis with some picks, some tough ones, Her. Okay. Let's talk managers. Managers who are likely to be fired. Who do you think is the first coach to get the sack down in Liga Mekis? Here are a few choices, but you take your pick of the lot. I I'm going to take Eduardo Arce. Come on down. That's a bit harsh, right? New coach. First season. Also, like, I don't think of Puebla as a team that's, like, that exigente, where the expectations are that high. So I was surprised when Well, you they are today. Okay. Because now it's Teve Azteca owned. Okay. So they are today. Let me tell you why. And it's maybe unfair to Eduardo Arce, who's only, like, 33, 34 years of age, first-time head coach of the first division. Puebla is a team that's ransacked every six months. Every six months, they come in. Okay, uh, they take players. It was Santi Ormeño. They've taken him. It was the best players they've had. Cruz Azul has taken him. They always get rid of the best players. They sold Jordi Cortiza. Cortiza goes to goes to Monterrey. Uh, Maxi Arajo now goes to Toluca. All America's the best done players. Some business with Puebla. Israel Reyes. Mm -hmm. All the good players that Puebla has are gone. And Larcamón, the ex-coach, every season would work miracles with the players that he did have. How much of that is Larcamón and how much of that is just Puebla in the pool? We're about to find out. But Eduardo Arce, now with a team that is depleted, a team that doesn't count with those players. Aristigueta, by the way, who was a goal scorer for them last season until he got injured, got injured again. So he's not going to be able to look for him this season. It's already depleted squad. I can't see Eduardo Arce coming out of this. 
Hi, I'm looking at the schedule for uh, Puebla, Pachuca tonight, America week three, Rayados week four. Ooh. Three of your first four, uh, very difficult. All right, I'm not going Arce. I'm going Victor Manuel Vucetich of Rayados. Now, why her? Because you always tell me, you told me all last season that Rayados were going to be the decepción, the letdown of the season. They were. And they were. So, right? So, we have that context on Vucetich. The other context we have is if you go back, of all Rayados coaches, coaches for the last, let's say, six years, basically, if you go back to Turco Mohamed's first stint, right? He lasts about two and a half, almost three years. Since then, Every Rayados coach, their shelf life is a year and change. A year and a month, a year and two months, a year and three months. Busetich was hired in March of 2022. Let's say he makes it to the year. Okay? Still April, still May. That's, that's the shelf life of a Rayados coach. I look at this team, and then on top of that, I saw that they lost to Chivas at home. Yeah. Ten-man Chivas, given all the history you have. I'm sorry. It was, it was between Potro Gutierrez and, and, and Busetich. I don't like the way things started for Cruz Azul. I think they got a lot of off-field issues as well there. But I think there's yeah. a little more pressure right now at Rayados. One thing to your favor, uh, new sporting director, Tato Noriega, who mm-hmm. we know very well. New sporting director comes in. He's in charge. He's going to want to make his mark. Uh, so that always plays a factor um, in those type of decisions. All right. That is the first manager to be sacked this season in Liga Mekis. Our next question is, who is going to be your breakout player of the season. Again, these are three choices, but you could t- choose anybody, Herc. Who are you going with? What is Johan Rodriguez, uh, Johan, Jonathan Rodriguez and, and Alexis Vega doing on that list? Uh, Are You're about to find out. Aren't Ortega, center back. My man's got a 6'4 frame. Mm. 22 hey. years of age, plays in my TSG. That's Toluca San Germán. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Toluca team, who I have going pretty far, very well coached team. And he's got tons of intangibles in a moment where I think the pool is weakened and prime for somebody to make their name on the next national team in that center back position. Nestor Araujo, Hector Moreno on the wrong side at 30. Johan Vasquez in purgatory, European purgatory, nowhere to be seen. Arred Ortega could be the next big thing at the center back position. He could have a breakout campaign with this team. All right, so you were very surprised to see Alexis Vega on the graphic. I made him my choice. Now, here's why I'm saying Alexis Vega is going to be the breakout player. Everybody knows Alexis Vega already, right? Everybody knows who he is. But he's never really had a breakout season, Herc, if you look at his productivity. The most goals he's ever scored in a season five. And if you actually look back over his campaigns, the best season he's had, he averages a goal and an assist or an assist every other game. Alexis Vega's 25. The contract ends in 2024. He just apparently turned down a six-month loan deal to Europe because it wasn't a good enough opportunity. It has to be now. The breakout has to be now for Alexis Vega if he's ever going to make the jump. 25 years old, if the window hasn't closed, it's very, very close. This is going to be Alexis Vega's year. It has to be. And I'm being a little bit prisoner of the moment because he scored the goal against Rayados. A situation where for Alexis Vega to do well... Chivas has to do well mm-hmm. because he's that important to the team. So if Chivas were to do well, Alexis Vega's doing well. It's just two scenarios I don't see happening this season. Their level, last eight years, is mm-hmm. ninth place. That's about where I see him this, this season. Sorry, producer. Yeah. Producer that. Beto, who is definitely a Chivas fan, says that is a baloney take. Baloney takes our, our next segments here on Football Americas in 2023. All right, uh, you know the top four in Mexico. Get that by when it comes to Liguilla. So important. So... I need a bold prediction here from you, Hercules, about the top four. What's your bold pick 
America out of the top four. Oh, come on. L let me let me just tell you something. Just being a troll. Do, do there, no, I'm not. Let just me, being let, a troll. I, I'm playing the, the, the odds here, the numbers. Uh, America's a team that the last time I honestly saw them in trouble with a finish, like the way they finished in, in the regular season play, was 2017, I believe, with Ricardo. La Volpe. La Volpe. Yeah, Volpe, they didn't yeah. make playoffs. I think that's the last time we've seen them out of that top four finish. Honestly, they've been that consistent, that, that good. But in that time, they've had some pretty big players, especially in goal. You have Marchesin, you have Memochoa. Now you have Oscar Jimenez. You have Tan Ortiz, who decided that that partnership with Israel Reyes and Cáceres was enough and didn't look enough versus Querétaro, a team that no wins in the last 47 games, playing as an away team. Richard Sanchez, for some reason, out of the lineup. It's Cabester Rodriguez in the lineup as a nine. No Henry Martin, who was your goal scorer last season. Vinas, who can't seem to get on the field anymore. I I've got some questions about this team. I, I really do. All right, so you're being very negative. You're saying who's going to end up outside the top four. You didn't speak this way about Chivas. I am going to be very positive here because that's my role on this show. I'm going to tell you who's going to be the surprise into the top four. I'm going Pumas. Now, this would be a surprise because, yes, they are technically uno de los grandes. But if we look at their recent record, they've been anything but done there, right? 16th last season, 11th the season before that, 11th the season before that, 15th the season before that. Now, a little bit prisoner of the moment, I'll admit it again, 2-1 winners over Bravos. But they got goals from not just Juan Lineno, who you're seeing there, who we know is a CONCACAF Champions League monster, not so much in the league, so good to see him getting off to a start. Good start there with the goal. But Toto Salvio as well, their star from Boca Juniors that they brought in, he gets a goal as well. Uh, Rubalcaba, the young guy who played high school soccer here in the United States, should have had a goal against Bravos, missed a, what should have been a, a nice finish there in, in extra time. Still, uh, I think Pumas with Rafa Puente Jr., remember the Lobos Buap days? I mean, if you can make magic with a team that no longer exists, what could you do with Pumas? If they go into the top eight, that's a surprise for me. I, they could go into Repechaje, sure, but top eight would be a surprise. For me. Top four, wow, that'd be, that'd be insane. Okay, speaking of surprises, let's pick some winners for once here on Football Americas. As we turn our attention to the odds. Time to book it, Herc. Liga Mekis top scorer. Who do you think is going to win the golden boot this year? Argentine Lucas Diorio. Uh, Diorio, last year, eight goals for a non-operant, really, uh, Leon team. A Leon team that was bad, but he was good. Now, with Larcamon, and this is really why I'm picking Diorio. It's Larcamon. Larcamon has managed to make goal scores of Santiago Ormeño and Martin Barragan. I really feel in his system, that nine's going to score goals. This man has proven to score goals on a bad team. Now, imagine on a good team with a good coach. I think it makes sense. I'm taking him. Plus 800, the good payout value. there. Uh, I'm going with the guy who is the odds-on favorite, Herc. Nicolás Ibáñez, which I really like it. Plus 300. campeonato de goleo. That does not sound, yeah, that does not sound like bad odds for the guy who is your reigning goal-scoring champion, right? Plus 300, I like it. We don't think Pachuca's going to drop off a cliff, do we? Uh, I, I, yes and no. Okay. Very quickly. Champions League, CONCACAF Champions League. More games. Mm, okay. okay. Henry Martin was getting plus 400. I wanted to take it, but I, I just couldn't, even with my Americanista ways. All right, who's going to win it all, Herc? Toluca, come on down! And at plus 1,100, why not? You talk about a team that has a lot of big names who can be arguably considered the best in their positions. Thiago Volpi, Mosquera, center back, Meneses on the wing, Leo Fernandez, etc. You add in Maxi Araujo from Puebla, who is a speedster who I think really changed things. And they're a great coach team. 
with Ignacio Ambriz, my little Nachito Ambriz there. And they were just in the finals. This team can repeat. They can make another big run. Finalists uh, losing on aggregate 8-2 uh, against Pachuca. Was what a run war. to the final. You didn't need to mention surprise, that. Surprise, surprise. Sebi is picking Club America. What year is this? Whatever year it is, cut the same VO, make the same graphics. More like BS. I'm always picking Club America for the 14th star. And they are actually the odds makers favorite as well, Her. What? Pachuca number two, Rayados number three, Tigres four, Toluca fifth, according to the odds maker. Stop. So Club America there at plus 400. Sebi's pick to win it all in Liga Mekis. Look, dude, you just got to keep going back to the well, back to the well, back to the well. Eventually, eventually I'll be right. That's how it works. Let's run it back. El Tri style. Some goals for Mexican internationals in Europe as well. Orbelin Pineda, his fifth league goal. In Greece for AEK against Panathinaikos, the game winner in a 1-0 victory. Orbelin Pineda, one of the players that had to force his way out to Europe. Uh, <coughs> Uriel Antuna, <coughs> Uriel Antuna. That's what you got to do. It's the way you got to do it. Then you can ball like this. That's right. Uh, Antuna linked to Panathinaikos. Doesn't look like he's going to get that move. It's Cruz Azul. Is this against Panathinaikos? Yes. Okay. It's the kibosh on that, something I'm sure we'll talk about. Later, Orbelin, five goals, two assists so far on the season. Memo Choa has played his first two games now with Salernitana. First game, nine saves against Milan. Second game, seven saves in a 1-1 draw against Torino. That was over the weekend, Herc. Big move. Pretty good performances so far from Memo. Yeah, what year is this? Just change the year, change the country for Memo Ochoa and his European adventure. This looks a lot like what he dealt with in Spain, dealt with in France. Yes. Salernitana right now, 14th in Syria. Not quite in the relegation zone, but very much potentially as the season wears on in a relegation fight. We will keep an eye on the 37-year-old Memo Ochoa doing it once again in Europe, this time in Syria. All right, coming up this week on ESPN Plus, we got the Spanish Super Cup Wednesday. It's Real Madrid against Valencia. Might get a look at Yunus Musa. And then on Thursday, we might get a look at Andres Guardado, who started over the weekend for Real Betis. They will be facing off against Barcelona. That match on Thursday. Again, a doubleheader of Spanish Super Cup action this week on ESPN Plus as well as ESPN2 and ESPN Deportes. Gareth Bale announcing his retirement earlier today. The 33-year-old calling it quits on a career that includes five Champions League titles and just as important, an MLS Cup. In MLS, he played a grand total of 347 regular season minutes, 23 postseason minutes, but yes, that goal in extra time of MLS Cup got LAFC to penalties where they eventually won. Hurt, there was a lot of hype when Gareth Bale arrived at LAFC. Did he meet his MLS expectations? Yeah, I think it's pretty standard for what Gareth Bale's been over the years. And when you put it in terms of Major League Soccer, what they spent for him and what they got out of him, marketing-wise, merchandise, tickets, gate, how much is an MLS championship worth right. for you? Because essentially he scored the game, the, the goal that put you back into the game that allowed you to win this game at, what, $1.6 million? Yeah. So what's that Major League Soccer championship worth to you? Yes, he lived up to expectations. This was not only one of the best games that I've ever been 
privy to calling, mm-hmm. be part of, but that I've ever seen in Major League Soccer history. And it happened to be in a final. And it happened to be, again, Gareth Bell living up to his legacy of big game moments. So, yes, yeah. worth if, every penny. If not for the goal, I think we'd be having a very different conversation. But he doesn't just make a difference. He literally makes the difference. They brought him in to get, to get them over the line. And when their season was hanging by the balance... Who was the guy that stepped up? And also, it's not like they spent $7 million on him. They spent, right. he's a TAM player. Right. The bang for the buck here, exceptional on John Gareth Thornton Bale. special. And John Thornton actually has, has just said that he didn't know this was coming. He just found out a day ago. So now LAFC has something they can work with in this January window, another DP spot. So look out. We might have some more transfer news uh, on LAFC. And All right, so enough on Gareth Bale. Come on. Time for our uh, parting shot here on Football Americas. And it's a sad one. Because we weren't on the air last week when Pelé passed away at the age of 82. He, of course, won three World Cups with Brazil, including the iconic one in 1970 in Mexico. He was an icon not just of soccer, of sport, of uh, really all humanity. And, of course, he played his last years of his career in the United States with the New York Cosmos of the NASL. Herc, your thoughts on Pelé's legacy and maybe specifically his legacy on soccer here in the U.S.? Just really quickly, one of the his legacy to the world, one of the... Uh first global icons of the sport yeah and not only was he the first global icon of the sport but he was the first black superstar just in in sports in general like when you talk about that age to captivate the world Mm. okay for what he did at the world stage at such a young age to when he hung him up unprecedented we may never see anybody else like him but talking about his effect in the states playing for the New York Cosmos, he essentially, if you look at today's domestic game, the DP, he was essentially the first oh, DP. Yeah. Not David Beckham. It's Pelé. It's the $1.6 million they gave him in that time. Imagine what that would be today for his services. Convinced him not to retire because he was in retirement to come out of retirement. Then played three years that pretty much set the blueprint for the game we see domestically today. U.S., Major League Soccer, the game in the States, isn't where it is today if not for Pelé and the New York Cosmos. Real quick on the world legacy, because that's where you started. It's such a tribal sport, soccer. A lot of what we get, our love of the game, is handed down by, by those that we love, right? I know for you, like your dad was a huge part of your soccer yeah, story. Yeah. For me, it's my mom. My mom was in Mexico in the 1970 World Cup, was, was present part of this. And it's the stories you hear. Like, I don't know if you talk to your dad about Pelé. When I talked to my mom about Pelé, it was like, Oh, my goodness. Then you really start to appreciate what the player was because to that generation, he was their goat. Yeah. And I think, I think you get a sense of the, of the global and, value of his, you know, and his any, legacy. Anything we see today, the moves that Kylian Mbappé does or, or Cristiano has done or Lionel Messi, all these crazy moves you see today, they, they, there's a root. There's somebody who tried him first. And, and for the majority of those moves, it's, it's Pelé. Yeah. He also proved soccer could work here. Soccer could, could work, could draw big crowds especially in New York City, something we haven't really seen in, like, the MLS era. But I think Pele proved, and, and maybe there was a gap between NASL and eventually MLS, but I think a lot of the people involved in early MLS, they didn't forget NASL. They didn't forget the Cosmos. They didn't forget Pele, and they thought, best-case scenario, we might someday be able to get back to that. So, obviously, uh, Pele, a huge part of not just soccer's story on the global stage, but soccer story here in the United States as well. A couple of news and notes that just came in. Haji Wright, their Turkish reports, linking him to Crystal Palace. Sounds like it may be a done deal, so we might have something on that on Thursday's show. Tomorrow, you and I will be in San Jose for Major League Soccer Media Day. We'll bring you the best of that on Thursday's show. And Jaden Shaw, 
of San Diego of the National Women's Soccer League, who won U.S. Soccer's Young Female Player of the Year Award, will be joining us on Thursday as well. So a full show Thursday. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you Thursday right here on ESPN+. Plus.